You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Anyway, I think you see that on the screen. Yeah, it's uh, the official title was a church of Church of uh, Saint Peter in Galicantu. And Galicantu meant cockscrow, or uh, more easily referred to as Church of the Rooster. As I said, this is built over the traditional site of where Jesus was on trial that night. And in the courtyard, is, you see the statue uh, in which uh, are portrayed the characters that, that were part of Peter's denial uh, with the rooster watching, all, watching that over. Well, this belief about the rooster that I had always had was blown to bits when we were in the Philippines. Filipinos like roosters. A lot of that has to do with uh, their legal sport of cockfighting. And I can't remember how many billions of dollars uh, are exchanged every year in the Philippines because of cockfighting. We saw roosters everywhere. They were in cages. They were riding on the back of scooters. They were chained by the legs, by the front doors of homes. And I realized my misbelief about roosters the very first night there when about 2.30 or 3 o'clock, the first rooster started crowing, long before sunrise, and they just kept on crowing. I think that first morning the, when the uh, Fagerlins and the Deals got together along with Uncle Justin, that's one of the things we talked about is just those stupid roosters who were crowing all night long. By the way, I don't know how fast I can do this, but just in case you've never heard a rooster crow, Does it sound just like the Philippines? That's good enough. You all remember the tie between the rooster crowing and Peter's denial, don't you? From the scriptures. Each of the Gospels reports it a little differently. But in Mark, after the Passover meal, we read, and this is a Mark 14, verse 26, if you'd like to follow along with. Mark 14, 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I just keep, keep your place there in the Bible, and we're just going to kind of talk through the next, next uh, few moments in Jesus' life. Uh, because a lot happens between Jesus' prediction and the denial. You know, Jesus knew Peter so well, even better than Peter knew himself. And it happened just like he, like uh, Jesus said. Well, from this point, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus asked the Father to take the cup 
or the experience away from him, but then he accedes to God's will. In the middle of praying, Judas shows up, comes to Jesus, betrays him with a kiss, turns him over to a crowd who arrests him, and then a trial takes place before the Sanhedrin. We read starting in verse 66 of chapter 14. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When he saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. As I said, each gospel tells a story just a little bit differently. Mark is the only one who says that the rooster crows twice. Luke inserts one of the saddest lines one can find in the scriptures. As the rooster crows in Luke 22, uh, verse 60, he writes, Just as Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, and he went outside and wept bitterly. It's a significant moment to visualize. Now, how would our life be different? How would our discipleship be different if we would spend more time meditating on what Jesus went through for us during that terrible time and then imaged Jesus looking straight at us. You know, we could stop right there. That'd be enough to think about. But I do want to talk about roosters, so... And I want to stay true to my sermon title. You know, the the rooster scenario is strongly rooted in tradition. But what if a rooster isn't the rooster? Mark Turnage, who is an executive in the Assemblies of God and has studied extensively in the Holy Land, blows apart this theory about this particular rooster. He says that in the Mishnah, an early compilation of rabbinic oral law that existed in Jesus' time, it is stated in there that chickens, including roosters, may not be raised in Jerusalem due to purity concerns. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of his theory, but he goes on to explain that the Hebrew term for rooster can also be used to refer to a male person. And the Hebrew term we translate into cockroach refers to an early time in the morning, each morning, when the priest would go to the temple to get the temple ready for the next day, or for the new day. This time, this cockroach time, was announced with the blowing of a trumpet. So he concludes that Jesus was not referring to a random rooster, but rather to a specific time in the morning when the rooster sounded and the priests went to work. 
In other words, Peter and Jesus weren't listening to a rooster crowing, but rather they were listening to a trumpet blasting. And if you've been to the Holy Land, you can see where this would make a lot of sense because the southeast corner of the temple, where the trumpet was always blasted from, is just right across the valley from where Caiaphas' house was, where Jesus and Peter were at the time. Uh, We know it's not important whether it was a rooster or a trumpet, although I do like the trumpet theory a lot better, uh, especially now that we've been in the Philippines and know that roosters are not predictable. What is important is that Jesus was referring to an obvious set time in the morning. And what is really important is that this disciple who swore strict and severe allegiance to Jesus failed. Peter was definitely committed to Jesus. He showed it in his words. He showed it in his actions. Trusting in Jesus, he jumped out of the boat to walk on the water with Jesus. When the disciples were asked who they thought Jesus was, it was Peter who testified, You are the Messiah, the Son of God. When Jesus said he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer and be killed, Peter stated, Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then the boisterous statements of support on that fateful Thursday night. Luke records them as, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Matthew records, even if all fall away on account of you, I will, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter was long on bluster, but when it came time to make a choice confirming the bravado, he failed. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. But now that Peter comes face to face with literally, physically, painfully giving up his life along with Jesus, he sets aside this trust that he had in Jesus. Instead, he chooses to trust in his own life-saving plan. Speaking of choice, I'd like to go back to the first garden that uh, Justin talked about two weeks ago. In the middle of that garden stood two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These two trees represented the foundational choice, not only for Adam and Eve, but for the members of the human race. Do I trust in God to show me how to live and thereby gain real eternal life? Or do I trust in myself to figure it all out? thereby leading to death. Justin tied the tree of life to God's unshakable resolve to be with us. And I want to take it just a little further than that because I think it would be safe to say that the tree of life represents Jesus. After all, Jesus is God in the flesh. And so in choosing Jesus, we're choosing connection with God. And that means we're choosing life. This moment of choice was skewed by the tempter Satan, the Antichrist. Not only did Adam and Eve choose to trust themselves to find life, but they chose to trust Satan to find life. In the letter to the Romans, Paul describes what was represented for the human race in this moment as Adam makes his choice to disconnect from his trust in God. 
that moment put into play a pattern that played itself over and over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Will the people trust in God to find life or will they trust in themselves to find life? It became a never-ending story of failing to make the right choice time and time and time again. And then, in the middle of all of that, God takes on flesh and He comes to this earth and He walks through earthly life and makes the right choice for us. In very dramatic ways, Jesus broke this death-producing cycle that was first played out in Eden. First, as He begins His ministry, He repeats the garden showdown, this time in the anti-garden, the wilderness. Satan comes to Jesus offering food and wealth and power, and Jesus says, no, none of that will bring life. Only God offers life, and I choose God. On our behalf, Jesus chooses right. And then, just minutes before Peter's denial, Jesus plays out the Eden showdown one more time. He faces Satan in a garden, the second garden that Justin talked about two weeks ago. He again faces a choice, just like Adam and Eve. And once again, on our behalf, Jesus chooses right. And in this case, most ironic, in saying yes, to the tree of life, Jesus embraces the tree of death, the cross. And embracing it crushes it, crushes the power of the tree of death, bringing to himself real life, resurrected life, and eternal life. Jesus, God in the flesh, displayed or replayed the battle between Satan and human beings. And he chose right. And in doing it right, Jesus broke the power of the tempter and the consequences that come with making the wrong choice. Now as Peter sat in the courtyard that night, he still hadn't figured it out. Trying to save his life, he lost trust in the source of life. And he turned away If he would have only understood what Jesus had already done for him, he would not have worked so hard to save his own life on his own. Truth be told, in this sorrowful, humbling moment, Peter was finally brought to himself, realizing how much he needed Jesus. Before this, Peter must have thought a lot of himself. After all, Jesus gave him, Simon, a new name, Peter, and said, I'm going to build my church upon you, the rock. Peter was the only one who jumped out of the boat to walk with Jesus. Peter was included in Jesus' transfiguration when Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah. Peter had just been included in the inner circle as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was one of Jesus' favorites, and for sure, for sure, 
He was much, much better than that disciple Judas. That treacherous, despicable Judas. But now, all self-righteousness was gone. Peter knew he was no better than Judas. Peter knew he was no better than the other disciples who had gone into hiding. And he alone had received that look from Jesus. As the days went on, Peter understood the battle was not his to fight. He would never win. But Jesus had fought the battle for him, and he won. And as it was for Peter, it is for us. Jesus walked this earth through all of life's experiences for us. Jesus stood up to Satan and won for us. Jesus walked through betrayal and ridicule and injustice for us. Jesus walked through torture, death, and the grave for us. Every single one of us has chosen wrongly. Instead of in God, we have all placed our trust in all kinds of things, in all kinds of people, including ourselves. But Jesus, he made the right choice for us. The one who won the battle fights for us. We human beings no longer need to be on our own. We no longer have to make right choices on our own or fight temptations or even Satan on our own. And best of all, when we fail, when we choose wrong, we have a redeemer, a forgiver, a friend who heals us and enables us to move on. Fortunately for Peter, he finally saw the truth. Unfortunately, Judas did not. So when is a rooster not a rooster? Simple answer, when a rooster is something else. I went to college too. And when is life not real life? It is when life doesn't come from Jesus. The one who is the way and the truth and the life. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that when we make the wrong choice and we do it all the time, that we're still okay because you made the right choice for us. And in making the right choice, you moved us beyond the consequences of those wrong choices. We thank you for the many promises that you hold out to us. We pray that you would help us daily, hourly, to choose you. Especially during this time in this world where we're all thinking about saving our lives. Help us remember that in trying to be wise and living out our earthly life,
that we remember that real life will come from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know we're not a very liturgical church, uh, but uh, one, of, one of my favorite things that I did as a pastor was to give the benediction or the pastoral blessing. And uh, I, want, I want to do that for us today. I, and I was thinking about that this morning. I, I was a pastor in Grand Forks. If, I mean, some of you guys probably not even know enough of this, but we had a big flood in 1997. And I can still remember the Sunday before that when uh, we didn't know what was going to happen, uh, but we knew it was going to be bad. And I didn't know if I was going to see my church members for a while anymore. And I can still remember the, the feeling when I gave that final blessing that morning, knowing that things were going to be different from now on. And so that's kind of how I feel right, right now. But I want, to, I want to give you a blessing. This is actually a Celtic blessing. It's one of my favorites. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. May he protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.